One of the colonels, one of my mentors in the military, he said something that stuck with me and I'll always remember. He said, hey, one day the Air Force is going to be done with you. And so you better make sure that you take care of your family because they're going to be the ones that are there when the Air Force is done with you. And I think that's the same for pretty much everything in life. Your family's going to be there, but one day everything else is going to be done with you. Welcome to Access Points, the podcast where we discuss the tools, habits, and ideas that can help you achieve and maintain the leadership mindset so you can reach peak performance. Are you ready for your all-access pass to some of the top minds on the topic of leadership? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Access Points podcast. This is Tim Elliott, CEO of Access. And uh, today we have a very special event, and I believe we've done this once before where I had my friend Stephen Wang come in from the fashion industry and do, I think we did a two series podcast with him and I enjoyed it. Learned a lot, learned a lot about mindsets, learned a lot about his life, very interesting stuff. So I think we had a few good comments from that. So uh, we're going to actually continue on with some guests. So very, very fortunate today to have a really close friend of mine um, named Nate Cavender uh, with us today. Nate, you want to say hi? Hey, how's it going, guys? So Nate is uh, an interesting guy, and he's been involved in a lot of different things in his life. But uh, like most of, of what we talk about here at Access Points is we talk a lot about mindsets, and we talk a lot about you know running a business, owning a business, being an entrepreneur, managing people, all those different things. So we're going to ask Nate some questions today that really pull some things from him on his experience, some of the things he's learned in the past with the different things he's done, maybe pull some little nuggets here and there. So Nate, we're glad to have you. Welcome. Yeah, man. So Nate and I got to know each other by a strange twist in that uh, we were at a, an event one time and I think we met at, of all things at a bar, which is really interesting. Yeah. Right. Yep. And uh, so I think we were at the bar and somehow another aviation came up or flying or something. And we both kind of put two and two together about aviation and being pilots. And I think something about you gave me a card. So, hey, let's get together. And and so we wound up going to lunch and really clicking. And so it's I give Nate um, props for a lot of the people I know in the Dallas area. I met through Nate. So all of my friends that know Nate said, if you want to know anybody, <laughs> If get to know Nate Cavender and you'll know half of Dallas. So Nate's a very charismatic guy and uh, he knows a lot of people and he's a really good guy. So Nate, what I want to talk about today a little bit is some of your experience in the past about where you grew up and how you got into, uh, we'll talk a little bit about you got in the military and then from a business side, kind of how that works. So tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing and, and just quickly say, you know, from, from where you grew up to going to school and then tell us a little bit about, uh, you getting into the Air Force. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, appreciate you having me on Tim. This is really fun and I feel humbled that you asked me to be here. So I grew up here in Dallas. Younger years were in DeSoto and then moved out to Mesquite and went to Mesquite Poteet High School. And while I was a senior in high school, uh, that was actually in uh, 2001. So, you know, right during September 11th. You are a young one. Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, that along with a lot of other people, you know, my age, that had a pretty profound impact on my youth. And especially at that point in time, when you're kind of deciding what you want to do with your life. And so, you know, I, I thought I was really cool and good at baseball, but I was, you know, pretty average to be honest, but I thought I'd go play it in college. But once that happened, I, I, I really started thinking about that. I wanted to do something about it. 
And so I knew that I did, I wanted to make sure that I went to college. And so my stepdad, who was actually a, uh, an army ranger, told me that I could apply for uh, scholarships and that I could go through school and, you know, through the ROTC programs on, on a scholarship and then go serve after that. And so I thought, well, heck, if I'm going to go into the military, why not try to be a pilot, et cetera? So I applied for the Air Force ROTC scholarship and was blessed enough to get that. Uh, So I ended up going to Texas Tech for four years, uh, got a finance degree there and went straight from there, uh, commissioned into the Air Force and and was in uh, flew C-17s for eight years. Yeah, it's very cool. One of the, we've talked about this before. And one of the really cool things is tell us a little bit about, you know, the selection process and, you know, just by getting into the air force, you're not automatically right. going to be yeah. able to fly and then fly what you want. Definitely. So talk a little bit about, you know, the process and, and how I think you had told me you've actually got your pilot's right. license before mm-hmm. you left tech. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about that and the, and the process from, you know, maybe ROTC until you actually got your left seat in the yeah. C-17. Well, when I, when I was young, I didn't really know how competitive it was going to be to get a pilot slot. I thought, oh, if I'm going to the Air Force, I should be able to be a pilot. Well, not so much. Back in you know 2002 to 2006, the Air Force was giving out about 2,000 pilot slots a year, and about 1,000 of those would go to academy grads. So you have 1,000 that would be spread out among all ROTC detachments across the country. So it was a pretty competitive process, uh, to say the least. So a, a lot of different things went into that selection process. One was how you ranked your your GPA was part of it. One was how you ranked field training, which is kind of like boot camp for officers. You would go after your sophomore year. Another was your physical fitness test and your score on that. And then actually all those were 50%. And then the other 50% was what your commander thought of you. And so all that went into a score against your peers at your school, your detachment, and then it went up nationally. And so at our detachment, to give you an idea, we actually did pretty good at Texas Tech, but we had like, I think like 200 cadets and every year we'd have about three or four pilot slots. So it was pretty competitive. That's pretty. Yeah. Yeah. And then once, then once you got accepted into the Air Force and, and went into pilot school, where did you start? What was your first stop, I guess, would be? Yeah. Uh, so first stop, actually, I got to do a year out in uh, Tucson, Arizona, where I was pretty much waiting to go to pilot training. My, my real job was to stock the, uh, the, the, the beer and make sure that the <laughs> snack room was good. What's that import- was, it's an important task. Yeah, it was really fun too. Uh, you know, Arizona university was right there. So I was basically living in college again for the next year but, uh, and making a little money at the same time. So that was fun. But, uh, then I went down to Del Rio right after that, um, uh, for a year long at undergraduate pilot training. So that's at Laughlin air force base. And what were you flying there? Uh, the T6 Texan is yeah. what we started out in. That's cool airplane. For, it was fun. Fully acrobatic. Really good time. Yeah. But those people that don't know exactly what that is, it's a single engine turbine yeah. uh, tandem. And yep. they're really, really cool. Yeah. You usually have like a pissed off instructor pilot sitting behind you, <laughs> smacking you in the helmet with a with something, telling you how terrible of a pilot you are. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so where'd you go from there? Uh, from there, uh, uh, we went, we got tracked, you know, if you're going to go to a fighter bomber track or heavy track or even helicopters, I went into the heavy track and the next six months I stayed there and, uh, finished out in T1s, which is basically like a beach jet 400, I believe is a civilian version of that. Right. And, uh, while you're there, you figure out what your assignment's going to be right towards graduation. And then from there I went to McGuire air force base, which is up in New Jersey. 
and lived in uh, Philadelphia there for about three years. Very cool. So yeah. for those that aren't aware of what the C-17 is, tell us a little bit about the C-17 and why you enjoyed flying the C-17. Yeah. Uh, the C-17 is, is, was really, it's a strategic airlift aircraft. So basically it was built to be able to deliver Abrams tanks anywhere in the world, uh, a whole brigade of Abrams tanks anytime we needed to. Um, so you could fit an Abrams tank in one, a one Abrams tank in a C-17. Uh, but from there, it, it, it can do pretty much anything else. We would do medevac missions where we go in and, you know, get guys that need to get to Germany out of Afghanistan. We could drop in, do a dirt field, short field landing on 3000 feet, even with a big aircraft, you can do airdrops, you can do troop drops. Uh, it, it can carry, I've carried, uh, air force Marine one in the back before, really? uh, wow. when Obama was going on the late night show, I, I flew it over to LAX out of uh, Quantico there near DC. So you can do anything. Right. Uh, but what I really loved about that airplane is that it's a heavy aircraft, but it was designed like a, like a fighter. So you have a stick, you know, not a yoke, like your typical commercial aircraft. And you had a heads up display, which is basically like you see in the movies where you see like fighter guys looking through the thing with, you know, the green numbers and stuff, it can move too. So if you, if you put the stick over to the side, it moves like a fighter and, and you could even actually put the, uh, the engines in reverse idle in flight. So that's, what's crazy. Yeah. It's never it, heard of that. Before. Everything in the airplane will go to the top, you know, <laughs> I'm it's sure pretty, will. pretty wild. So how long did you fly the C-17? Would have been six years. Spent wow. the first two years kind of training and then the next six years, uh, yeah, flying the 17. Wow. That's cool. So, uh, you went through, I think you lived in Hawaii for a while, right? I did. The last, you, you, you keep telling about that's the one place you'd love to go back to. Man, Not a good life. It was two of the best years of my life. It was incredible. That's cool. I loved it there. That's so cool. So one of the things that, that I'm interested in is, is once you got out of the air force, you had to kind of decide what I want to do now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so what, you know, you had a finance background from college, what you got your degree right. in, is that kind of what led you to doing something in finance or did you have a passion for it anyway? What was in your head? What was your mindset when you left? I think it was a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I wanted something, I did have a background, so it was always interested in it, but to, it seemed like it was, it could be really fun and challenging at the same time. It was something that I didn't necessarily, I knew about, but I didn't really know about. Right. So I, I knew I was going to have to really work hard to be good at it. And I was, I was honestly, I was tired of being gone all the time. Uh, yeah. so I wanted something that could keep me around a little bit. I also had a few friends that were financial advisors at the time that I spoke with and they, they absolutely loved what they did. And I, and I thought, man, I can do this. And so, you know, I, I went for it. So what was that transition like from leaving the air force and, you know, flying and, and most people don't realize, and we don't think we went into it much today, but you know, there's a lot more involved in it than just flying. I mean, there's a lot of management to it. Right. Um, I mean, there's a lot to, flying C-17 and the missions and, and you and I've had lots of conversation over beers right. about, you know, some of the things that you had to make decisions about and the paperwork involved with it and the planning. And, and it was, uh, you know, probably flying was what, 15% of the job. Right. No, no. So doubt. when you trained, when, when you transferred out of, of the military and started with your first company, what was that transition like? What was it like? And what were some things that you missed about mm -hmm. being military and some things that you really enjoyed about being back in yeah. the public sector? Well, first of all, the, f the hardest thing for me was to figure out what, what to wear every day. <laughs> <laughs> After eight years of, of being told what to wear, that was the toughest thing is figuring out what to wear. But um, I think uh, 
one of the things that I still miss to this day about that I that I missed immediately was the camaraderie that you had when you were out doing something that was stressful or tough with somebody and you may be gone from your family and friends for a while together. I think the camaraderie that you form with your fellow pilots or anybody that your um, your subordinates was pretty strong and it was special. And so I still have a lot of those relationships today. I keep up with those people. You don't immediately get that as easily in the civilian sector. Right. So that was one thing, definitely. Another thing that was, I think, a really tough transition was in the civilian sector, not everybody necessarily has the same mission in mind. You know, when we were going out to do a mission, we knew exactly what we wanted to do, and we all wanted to get it done as best we could. In the civilian world, you don't necessarily know where everybody's motivation lies. And so, for example, if the job needs to get done, you know, in the military, usually people would stay until it got done. That's not always the case in the civilian world, right? Right. That was a pretty tough lesson that I had to learn was to not get so frustrated at those moments when I, and I had to realize like these people have families and different lives. They were never in the military like you. So they don't have that kind of a training or that mindset. And so I had to understand people are different right? and they're different in the military, but there was, there was a lot more structure sometimes right, right around what you were doing and when you had to have something done. Yeah. So with that mindset of coming from, I have to do this right from, you know, the military, you didn't have a choice. You had a mission, you had to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. It was in some cases, life or death. It right. could be something, it's something happens, you know, upstream things are going to happen. If you don't get this done to coming back in the public sector of, you know, here's our challenge. Here's what we got to get done. It's not life or death. It's not, you know, if it doesn't get done or if it doesn't get on time time or it gets pushed or it doesn't happen exactly like with the, so coming from the military, that mindset that you had, how was that advantageous for you? Just mentioned it's kind of frustrating when you're on a team, Mm -hmm. but for you, how was that mindset helpful when you went into the public sector and had now something that you wanted to create, something that you wanted to accomplish? Right. How did that work? Well, I think one of the things that helped me to do immediately was to to lead by example, right? Because like I said, if something needs to get done and if no one else is picking up the pieces, you got to pick them up. And so I, a lot of times I found myself stepping outside of what my, maybe my job title description was right. to help do something. And in the end that actually, not only I saw, especially in the civilian sector, you got a lot of respect immediately from either your peers or even your subordinates uh, and, and, you know, your bosses as well. Right. So tell us a little bit about your first job and and some of the things you did and and what you learned from it. First job. Yeah. Man, my first job, I actually worked at party city. It's a a retail, (laughs) a retail store that sells like balloons and stuff. And I used to, I used to blow up balloons faster than anybody. But um, I think that, man, what that taught me was I had a lot of friends that were, uh, like their parents did well. And I was one of the only ones that worked in high school, but it really taught me the value of hard work and how quickly uh, that money can go away. (laughs) Because (laughs) one of my main, main uh, motivations to work when I was younger, especially in high school was to pay for my car insurance and pay for, you know, have money to take girls on dates. Right. Wow. But it seemed like every time I had a paycheck, that was gone pretty immediately. Yeah. Still happens, doesn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. No doubt. Well now I have a daughter to pay for. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people that we talk to and a lot of people that, um, that we interview, that's one of the questions we ask and it helps us understand what their motivation was. 
And there's something about that first job. There's something about having to take that first job when either you have to do it or you want to do it and you learn so much. And the takeaways from it is you learned, you learn how to do things that you don't want to do is I don't feel like going to work. I don't feel like being there on time. I don't feel like staying till seven or whatever it is, but you don't have a choice. It's the first time that, you know, someone else somewhat controls your world for a while. Right. And, and other than your parents, that's the first time it happened from outside perspective. And so um, it is, it's, it's a game changer and it's, uh, it's something you learn, but it also goes with you. So take that now back to your first public sector job out of the military. And, you know, you just spoke about sometimes it was, it was difficult because people didn't have the same mindset you did. So tell us a little bit about what you did and what all you did and how long you were there. So I started out as a a financial advisor uh, with Merrill Lynch. Um, And I was there for a a year immediately after. So my first, actually my first four months, or actually three months, was really all about learning about being a financial advisor. So you had to take your Series 7, your Series 66, so you had to study. And all the while you're doing that, getting ready for your test, you had to start learning, hey, how am I going to go out there and market myself? How am I going to get clients? And then also learning, you know, whenever you do get in front of a client, what to say, what to do, et cetera. So it was a really um, steep learning curve, to say the least. Yeah. So what were the, give me, give me two or three things that you learned from that first job from Merrill Lynch that were really important and critical to even think about where you are today. I think I took from, from being at Merrill Lynch was, uh, number one was, hey, focus on what are you really good at and be the best at that. So for me, it was being able to meet people in a social setting. So I would, I would make sure that a lot of my marketing that I did of myself and the firm was, I would find social settings to do that. And then what are you not good at? Find help with that or find a way to structure yourself so that you get better at it. So for me, I was not good at, you know, doing a lot of different things at once. And so if I needed to do X in the morning, Y in the middle of the day, Z at the end of the day, I needed to make sure that I had X, Y, Z on the calendar at certain parts of the day. So I made sure that I got to them. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that's, we talk about strengths a lot and we talk about things that you're not great at when we're not really a weakness, but you know, one of the, one of the, some of the mindsets we talk about on access points is being able to focus on the things you do really well and coming up with the things that you don't do well, come up with things that help you. So, um, you know, you know, Cody straight, yeah. like you met Cody. So we talk about Cody, you know, what he, he struggled with some of the same things as a salesperson of organization. And he's not like me scattered, doesn't organize very well. So he learned to use automation. He learned to use computers. He learned to use uh, CRM really, really well. So it would do a lot of the organization for him. And it sounds like you're saying some of the same things. You found a weakness and you've said, I have to do these things for my job, but how can I do that and make it where I don't have to use all my mental energy to do that? So that's awesome. Yeah. Tell me about this, the job. Once you left Merrill Lynch, what, what, what did you do? So from there I got actually recruited over to, uh, another, an independent financial, uh, advisory firm. But what was interesting there is that they had a, um, a financial wellness program. It was basically a startup. And for me, that was really cool because, being a financial advisor, you are, you're helping people that usually have the means to help themselves, right? Um, they may or may not listen to what you tell them. Right. A lot of times they're, they're pretty educated, but with financial wellness, uh, the, the idea is we're basically helping employees of companies that otherwise 
financial advisors probably would not call on or, you know, give the time of day because, well, they don't have a lot of the assets to, to pay for their services. And so we wanted to go out and help people that needed our help uh, when it came to finances. And so that was really cool. That's awesome. And that's, that's one of the things that's, that was when you and I met was that's, that's right. where you were working. And it was fun to hear you talk about and be passionate about what you guys did. And that's something that, you know, if, if no one's ever had a financial advisor before you can read things and, and, you know, you wonder how in the world do people accumulate money and what most people don't realize is not from necessarily just working hard. I mean, that's right. a big part of it. You have to start with that, but it's learning how to use your money to work for you and, you know, having someone that you can call or that, you know, you can reach out to and say, Hey, I keep putting money in this 401k, you know, I'm putting it back, but what does that mean? And what right. else can I do with it? Or, you know, what does that look like? Or how do I, how's that going to help me when I'm 50 or 60 or 70 years old? How can I make that work for me? And that was cool that you guys were going out and providing a benefit really yeah. to an organization, exactly. to employees that probably had never dealt with that before. And, you know, I can remember the first meeting I had with a, a financial advisor and, you know, your whole world opens up. Say, so, you know, even though I didn't have a whole lot to put into it, but understanding what that can mean as, you know, I became more and more successful financially, what I can do with that. And, you know, seeing that success is probably pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I think the coolest thing is too, is seeing people when they have a plan for their children and that, that come true for their children. It's, it's, it's special. And then seeing somebody that thought, you know, one time this guy, he was like, Hey, I'm not even going to be able to retire. I don't even, when can I retire? And then we show him, Hey, actually in about five years, if you do X, Y, Z, you'll be able to retire. Yeah. You know, and the, the happiness that came over to his face was pretty, pretty yeah, awesome. That's pretty cool. And like I said, that's when you and I met and that's when you and I kind of started having some discussions around, you know, what else is there out there and where do I want to be? And talking about you, where, right. you know, you and I would have those conversations over mm -hmm. hanging out or over beer or something. Oh, yeah. And, and that was why the, the first time I kind of started to see, you know, the wheels turning in your brain about, man, I'm working for other people and that's cool. I like that. I'm growing, I'm learning a lot, but you know, I don't, there's something inside of me that w wants to do something different, yeah, something special. Um, and there was a lot of different things. You and I have brainstormed a lot about what some of those things could be, but tell us a little bit about, you know, once, what was next for you and when you decided you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Right. Um, how, how did that come about and, and why? I think like, just like you said, for whatever reason, I started to feel like, man, I really want to have something to call my own. And I, I felt like I could really be successful. You know, if I found something that I get passionate about and it'd be really fun to build something that, that I could say, Hey, I did that. Right. And so I started, uh, I had a, a buddy that I was working with at the a financial wellness firm. And we started looking for something and he was doing the exact same job as me. So it kind of made sense. We're like, hey, let's look for something that we can do together and grow something. Let's, let's look for something. And we started talking to different franchise coaches, et cetera, listening to different ideas. And we got this one that came to us. Uh, it, it was about concrete restoration. And I was thinking about how much Dallas is growing and how much of a concrete jungle it's starting to feel like here. And I'm like, man, there is a lot of concrete out there and people are going to need this because it is really expensive to rip out and replace concrete. 
anyways, long story short, we decided that we would uh, buy into the franchise and little did we know it was a pretty young franchise at the time. So we were kind of really starting this thing. We were, I think the second oh, wow. owners. Yeah. So th- we didn't necessarily get the, what we expected to get from a franchise when it came from uh, marketing, um, you know, brand name recognition, even everything down to what you should be charging for different jobs. So that part was, uh, was pretty eye opening. but right now where we are, if you fast forward about a year and a half from when we started it, it feels really good because we're finally starting to turn a corner. Uh, we're starting to be able to hire people. Uh, we're seeing our revenues grow and it feels like we really built something ourselves. And I feel so proud of what we've done. I mean, obviously a lot of blood, sweat and tears, but <laughs> right. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So all this in the meantime of when you're doing this, you also are still a sales executive, right? Right. So you got your day job and now you've started something on the side. So tell us about how that, how did you balance that and how'd that work? And, and, you know, talk, talk about time, Yeah, both from a time standpoint, from an effort standpoint, from an emotional mm-hmm. standpoint, how did that work? Well, actually that's something that I wish I would have thought about a little bit before because it definitely was, was tough. It was trying. Uh, I didn't realize I don't think my partner did either how hard it really is to start a business. Even if it is supposed to be this franchise thing where things are supposed to be already in place. But, you know, when it came to balancing time, it was interesting to me, you know, looking back, I feel like I started to balance time. Um, It matched what I was passionate about. So I was really excited about building this and I cared about it so much that I started to feel that, you know, even though I didn't have time during the day to work on my company, um, the concrete company, I would at night do it, you know, after hours or in the morning before, you know, the day started where I had to be at the financial wellness company. So even though that was super tiring, not to mention the family that you had to pay attention to as well, there's something that that drove me to still do it. And it was mainly because I love doing it. Right. We talk a lot about access points and we talk about starting this business and we have people come in and, and the same, same thing we hear over and over again is if I would have known ahead of time what this would be like, I probably wouldn't have done it. Right. Would <laughs> yeah. you agree that that's probably the case? 100%. But once you actually did it and you're kind of over the hump of starting it, aren't you glad you did? Oh yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you talk about how you balance that, but emotionally, how did you balance home life? Um, you know, you, you've had a lot of things change in your life over the last year yeah. and a half. Right? Yeah. Uh, and so talk a little bit about that and, and some of the, some of the, the balances of how do you spread yourself between being a sales executive, a business owner and a husband slash father right now? Well, number one, my golf, uh, outings have, <laughs> have pretty much gone away. <laughs> The, pretty the, good golfer yeah, too. You're pretty, yeah. pretty decent golfer. That hurts. That hurts a lot. But you know what? It had to. It had to happen. I had to cut that out. And and to be honest, my social the thing you know the social thing I talked about earlier that's gone away tremendously. I don't see much of Nate lately. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't get to go have beers as much anymore. But um, I would say you know a lot of it goes back to hey, there's some times that are sacred with the family. So for me and my family and my daughter, it's bath time. So I always want to give her, 
at night. It's like, it's, it's a break for me, but it's an hour where I can take her into, you know, we can play whatever, bathtub, have fun, bubbles, whatever. And then two, I would say, you know, on the weekends, at least Sundays, taking especially Sunday mornings to spend that time with your wife and, and, and your kid, or at least my wife and my kid was a must because a lot of times I didn't have a lot of time to, to give, but I always tried to make sure dinner time and bath time were available for family. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then usually maybe 30 to 45 minutes in the morning before leaving for daycare and work and stuff like that. Right. Right. And I, I know Nate's wife real well too. And she's, yeah. she's a great girl and not a great mom. And you know, on top of that, she's got her own thing. Right. right. And so balancing all that and, you know, Nate was usually, I say BK before kid. Yep. Um, <laughs> Nate was always, uh, you know, call up, Hey, let's go do something this afternoon. Let's go do something this evening. And, uh, if he was open, he was good for it. And, uh, now it's like, man, let's schedule something three, yeah. four weeks out. But, um, but it, it's, you know, we all went through that and it, it's so important. Um, and it goes back to priorities and prioritizing your time. Yeah. And when you're starting a new business, there's a lot of guilt that happens because it's something you're very passionate about, but you want to make sure you give hundred percent effort to your day job. Um, at the same time, you want to give everything to what you're passionate about. And then you've got your family, which is the most important thing that you want to make sure that you carve out time for them right? without them feeling like they're left alone. My, uh, one of the colonels, one of my mentors in the military, he said something that stuck with me. And I'll always remember, he said, hey, one day the Air Force is going to be done with you. And so oh, wow. you better make sure that you take care of your family because they're going to be the ones that are there when the Air Force is done with you. And I think that's the same for pretty much everything in life. Your wow. family's going to be yeah. there, but yeah. one day everything else is going to be done with you. Yeah. And, you know, you, I'll, I'll tell you the same thing about work yeah. is one day your career will be done with you. Exactly. And your company will be done with you. And I'm not there yet. Um, <laughs> but, but what do we have left when that's over? Right. You know, we have so many friends uh, that, you know, had did that with their kids is they poured everything in their kids. And so they never really kept their relationship with their spouse going. And so whenever the kids left, mm. you know, it's man, it's like, who are you? And they went through some difficult, a lot of them even got divorced is, you know, it just didn't work. Um, and even Jamie and I struggle with that sometimes now that our kids are gone is kind of look at each other and go, wow, we have all evening. Yay. We have all evening. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know? And so, um, you know, those things, those things are real. And at, at, when you get to the point of you have that time, it's, uh, you want to make sure that the people that you love and did all this for, because we have to remember we, this is why we do it. Right. Yep. We get in the middle of it sometimes and it becomes about us and our passion. And, but we still do that for, for our families. So let's talk, let's go back and talk a little bit about, you know, once uh, you were at the benefits company and you left there not too long ago, right? Right. That's right. At the end of, uh, at the end of last year. Yeah. Wow. At 2020, end of 2020. Okay. So yeah. I've been, at, I've been with, I'm actually with WebMD Health Services now and I've been there for, I guess, four months now. Wow. How's um, that? I love it. Uh, yeah. Really, you know, coming from a startup atmosphere to now, you know, the companies, they've been doing uh, corporate well-being programs for 20 years, you know, coming into something like that where everybody is at their best and they know what they're doing and they're really good at what they do. Um, we're not trying to figure things out still. Right. It's, it's, it's refreshing. Yeah. And it's fun. I'm guessing, though, that some of the things that you learned from your past company that you had to do everything. Right. You had to learn everything. You had to be 
the guy that knew everything, even though that sometimes really sucked having to do all of it and was exhausting, especially when you do things that aren't in your strengths or in your wheelhouse. When you go over to a company now that has a lot of tools and a lot of resources, what did you learn from your old job where you had to do everything that mm-hmm. you're able to use here, even though you don't have to use all those things? What is it you learned there that you're able to bring over yeah. and it makes you better now? Oh, one, it's not even a question. First and foremost, I am so thankful that I have this, these resources now. And most of those resources are people and right. they're really good at what they do. You know, I, I don't just show up every day and think like, oh, you should support me in the sales role that I'm in. No, it's, hey, I want to try to prepare you as best I can as a sales guy, you know, speaking to somebody that's supporting me on a deal we're working on. I want to try to help you as much as I can because you have no idea what you're doing for me. Right. Right. So I think that that is helping me form relationships that are going to pay dividends moving forward, mainly because I'm thankful to have them. Right. And it's interesting once you don't have something and now you have something, you truly appreciate what you have, where if you would have jumped right from military into where you are now, you know, you probably take all these things for granted. You would probably assume that that's Mm -hmm. part of what everybody has. And you know, maybe even you're a nice guy, but a lot of people would even treat those people differently. Right. Right. Because of that. Without a doubt. I mean, I, it's, it's interesting. I actually, you know, in the military, you're trained, everybody's trained to do their specific job and you're the best at that job in the civilian world. Not, not necessarily the case, depending on where you are. Mm-hmm. Well, I left, you know, went to, into the startup world where, like you said, doing everything and I'm not, I'm not the best at all that stuff. Right. That's not all right. my strengths. And then, but now it's so refreshing to be back where everyone is their best at what they're doing. Right. And, and you just, you're so thankful for that because you, just like you said, you see when it's not there and how bad it is and how bad it sucks Right. (laughs) Right. to when you have it again. And you're so grateful for it. Let's go back to the driveway company. Let's talk about when you started that and kind of what, cause you, you started that how long ago again? Uh, about, about a year and a half. A year now. and a half. So you've been through a lot in a year and a half with the driveway company. Right. And tell, tell the audience a little bit about, you know, when you started some of the ups and downs, um, when did, well, just, let me start with this. When you started it, what were some of the first things in the, I think the first three months, what did you deal with? What was things, if you think back about a year mm-hmm. and a half ago, what were some of the things you dealt with, some of the struggles you had yeah. at the very beginning? I think immediately it was a few things. Immediately was uh, knowledge and just really understanding exactly what type of customer we're going for, what products we need to buy and use on specific jobs and then how a specific and then how do we market to those customers what works and um and then finding the right people to help you do that work you know there was a lot of days where my partner and I after hours were out at you know jobs doing the work ourselves so it was a real struggle I th- i'd say everywhere from from just uh product knowledge to marketing w- was probably the two key pieces I remember you and I had a lot of conversations about marketing. Right. So talk a little bit about kind of how you started off marketing. Yeah. And some of the iterations you went through to kind of where you are today. Yeah. We, man, uh, I could talk on that for a while because it was really a, it was really a pain point for us. But we, we, at first we started trying to go through, um, home advisor. So kind of the pay per lead piece mm-hmm. to where we, and what we found was that we have such kind of a niche industry, if you will, that, 
they don't really necessarily, the leads we were getting weren't really for the jobs that we do. They were, uh, so we were wasting a lot of time. Then we moved into, let's spend a bunch of money on, on Google ads and keywords, et cetera. And which it worked some, but at the same time, again, we're a niche. So people don't necessarily Google exactly the keywords that, that we might come up for and that what we want to serve. And so we're like, Oh my gosh, we're spending all this money on this. And we're, we're barely making that money back, you know, at the end of the month. And so then when things really turned around was when we decided let's try print advertising. Well, what we didn't realize was that through Google ads and through paper leads and all this other stuff, people weren't being educated by our advertising, but when they see it and they say, Oh wow, you did it this way. It was, you know, before and after picks, then they're like, I need that. And so then we started getting calls for exactly the type of jobs we wanted to do. And we didn't spin, spin our wheels on sending out people to do quotes, you know, and come back like that wasn't even a good lead. So, I mean, things have really turned around since we started using uh, print ads, mainly I think because we are such a niche and and we are so different than what people are used to when it comes when you think of a concrete company. Yeah. That's so funny. You started digital and came back to print, to print, right? Right. Um, And I I even talk about this now. I think, you know, direct mail still works. And, you know, people kind of blow off printing and direct mail, but the reality is, is people look at it yeah, and it still works. And especially when you combine it with, you know, digital, there's some really cool things you do, not a topic no for the day, but so you mentioned money earlier. Mm-hmm. So tell me about some of your money ups and downs, um, the first six months of business. I mean, the first six months, we pretty much just blew through <laughs> everything we had, to be honest. I mean... And did you expect that? I know you probably had a business plan. You put you, know, you and yeah. your partner of what you thought this would be. Did things work out exactly like you thought they would? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> Tell me <laughs> about that. Not at all. I mean, we thought we would, you know, within six months, we thought we'd at least be in the black. And that really wasn't the case. And come to find out our, our business is a little seasonal as well. So the summer months and, and spring and fall are good while people are looking at their you know, their house or outside at their patios and their driveways. Like, I don't want to fix this in the winter. They're spending time inside. So we didn't realize that there'd be some ebb and flow there, but you know, the first six months, like I said, we spent a ton of money on advertising and it really, we really weren't getting a return for it. And then two, we were also not doing too well with uh, inventory control and the types of products we were buying, all that kind of stuff. So needless to say, we, there was a point in time, I'd say, you know, five, six months ago, we were like, are we going to keep doing this? Yeah. I mean, literally five months ago, we were really close to shutting the doors. Yeah. And now it's like, it's crazy. You know, the, the print ads changed things. We had a few good hires as well, but now it's like, how fast do we want to grow this thing? Right. It's pretty cool. So there's people listening that are, that have either thinking about starting a business or in the middle of it or working for someone that has, and, you know, most people don't understand how things have to get progressively worse sometimes before they get better. So let me ask you this and you don't, I don't want any details, but have you taken a paycheck from your company yet? One very small paycheck. <laughs> so you've been doing this how long? A year and a half. Yeah. So a lot of people don't understand when it gets to be an entrepreneur, um, people think, oh, you got your own company and, you know, you're driving mm-hmm. great cars. And what they don't understand is 99.9% of all the money goes right back into it. And I think uh, survival is a good word to use. Wouldn't you agree? No doubt. Of literally just trying to survive to, to make this thing stay alive. And hopefully it will, it will grow to a point where it will sustain itself. Right. Right. At what point in time did it click with you guys? 
that you kind of looked at each other and said, Hey, this may actually work. Well, there was a, you know, I'll, I'll go to the opposite of that. There was a time when we were getting ready to quit. It was, man, we, it's hard for us to get a sell there. We're barely booked out a week. We like, it's Monday. We need to start booking jobs for next week. When we started looking at each other, like, wow, this is, you know, how fast we're going to grow this. That was about three, four months ago. And we looked at each other and we're like, we're booked a month out. We need to hire more people so we can start doing double jobs that we're doing now and get more sales guys, get a call center. Like we started thinking of all those things. So your problems changed. Oh, oh yeah, exactly. Good point. <laughs> right? Yeah. And we talk a lot about mindsets and we talk about how you deal with issues and problems with your businesses and you know, what people that haven't owned their own business don't understand is it doesn't matter where you are in the cycle of your business. There's always issues. Those issues change. So what you and I were talking about even a year ago, right? Some of the struggles you guys were having and some of the issues and, and we we're talking through some of that stuff until now, you know, if we were to sit down again now and talk about some of those things completely different, right? Yeah. I mean like night and day different. And now you're into, you got employees and you've got tools and equipment you have to buy and all, you know, and how do you scale the business up and how much money it costs to scale up to even have one, you and I have the conversation, just one more crew mm -hmm. exponential of the cost. Right. Right. But if you get that going, it can be exponential the profit. Exactly. And trying to figure all that out. And, and man, I, I want to tell you kudos for you guys for sticking with it. Um, not everyone does. There's a point in time that everyone's career as an entrepreneur or business owner that you want to just quit. And you literally weigh the options of, is this worth it anymore? And I can remember for me, it was back in 07, you know, the economy tanked and hospitals literally mm -hmm. quit putting out POs, quit spending money. And it was for a period of time and we weren't ready for that. And we hadn't set the business up really for that. And I can remember having some of those same thoughts is, man, you know, going to driving a truck sounds really good right now. Or going and being, <laughs> being a full-time pilot would be really cool yeah, right now. Right? Um, but you've got so much invested and you've put so much of not just money, but emotional energy into this thing that you still have a passion for it. And I want to see this thing work. And I know it can work. And if we can just, if we can just turn the corner, if we can just get one more job, that two more jobs, three more jobs, and you just literally go to bed at night praying for two phone calls, right? Mm -hmm. Three phone calls something. And, and you can remember being deep like that. Did you think that when you got to that point, did you change a few small things? Is that what did it? Like where we changed, ours was changed to print ad and we had a few good hires. Was that the same for you? Did it yeah. a little luck and a little bit of strategy? It was, it was a little, it was, you know, it was 50, 50, it was probably 50% luck and 50% yeah. um, pivoting to find where the marketplace was. Um, in, in our case, it was maybe digging in and working a little bit harder on some, some very niche things that brought things around. Um, part of us, part of ours were, you know, the, the economy started getting better right. and money started, you know, being real freer and that changed. Um, but we talk about this, those people that listen to access podcast. We've talked about the pandemic and we've talked about how we had the same thing happen this year where hospitals just quit buying. Mm. And, but you know what, the great thing is we didn't have the same panic is we were kind of ready for it. And even though we didn't have any idea it was coming, we'd kind of prepared ourselves to be able to pivot quickly. And it turned out that's probably one of the best things that's happened to us as an organization is, you know, we weren't able to go out in the field and sell. We weren't able to go see people. So we were able to turn inward and focus on some things that we probably needed to focus on and fix some things, whether that's 
you know, showing up products, showing up people. Um, we spend a lot of the time really showing up mindsets mm. of how we think about things, how we look at our strengths, how we look at each other and how do we become a better team? What's the best way to do that? And, and that's, that's what I find interesting about you and your journey is you're still a young guy and a young company and you're still in your, you know, your other career and you have a young kid is getting to see ahead of you what's coming and there's going to be really difficult moments, right? As a, right. as a family, as an entrepreneur, as an executive, there's going to be some really, but there's going to be some awesome things ahead. And so my wish for you is that you'll soak up both ends is, you know, those difficult times you think back, you know, five, six months ago when you're yeah, your partner, right. like, are we going to, we're going to close this thing up and think about what that taught you. And, you know, the mindset you guys have, no, we're going to make this thing go. we got to figure this out. And, and digging in and not just quitting mm -hmm. and figuring out what it is that we have to do to make this thing work and, and doing that and seeing it work and think about what you learned. And so much about what you learned then is going to be helpful to you 10 years from now, whether that's in your own company, whether that's your Excel, no matter as a father, it doesn't matter what it is. So much of what you learned is going to come back to you and be just a part of who you are. Right. And, you know, you've been fortunate too to have some people around you that have been able to talk to you and give you some confidence in, in who you are and what you are. I mean, you need that in your life, whether that be, you know, brothers yeah. or that be um, friends, that be parents, that be mentors, that be whoever it is. You've been able to do that and lean on those people. And that's one of the things we encourage people that listen to the podcast is find that person or persons out there who've been where you are and know that when, when things are tough, you can make a phone call. And it, even if it's nothing else, them to say, hey man, I've been there. Yep. And hang on, right? You're gonna be okay. In fact, I did that with, with Tim, for those of you listening. He actually, when, I, when we were going through that tough moment, I actually did call Tim and he gave me some pointers, a little bit on the, you know, the hiring side of things and, and how we can structure some comp. But it was, it was a game changer for us when it came to that. So thank you, Tim, for that. Was, hey, th thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, I've been through that before. And, um, you know, it's, and that's, we talk about this again. This is why we do the podcast is that people are able to listen and hear some of the mistakes we've made and hear what we would have done different and not have to go through what we did. And same for you. So go back all the way to flying the C-17 mm -hmm. and think about those days when, you know, I won't go into detail, but you've told me some missions where you're doing some pretty hairy stuff. And those days of stress and those days of, so how does that relate you know, back in those days to how do you deal with being a, a parent, uh, mm -hmm. a, a husband, uh, an entrepreneur and executive? What are some things that you pulled, whether you knew it or not, from your brain and your heart from back in those days to today? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Cause sometimes I think, like you said, I don't think you realize that you're pulling from that experience. But when I, when I really think about it, there were, there were some tough times, whether it was, I was scared or I was lonely and I missed home or, you know, felt like I was missing out cause I was still young and not back hanging out with everybody and, you know, doing life like a normal young 21 year old would do. I think a lot of it was that, Hey, you know, cause when I look back on all those experiences when the 17, while there were some really crappy times and there were some really good times, man, it was one of the best things I ever did. I, I would never give that away for anything. I mean, it was an incredible experience. And so, you know, I guess moving forward to now, it's kind of like what we were getting at 
there are some really hard times, like you said, and there are going to be some good times. But if you're working hard and you're paying attention to things, they'll get better. I think that's probably what it is. It's like those days when you're just really struggling with whatever it is, it always seems to figure itself out. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a really good point. And, and that's, uh, you know, the, the struggles that you're having now, or even having a year ago, you know, you're going to look back on those 10, 15 yeah. years and you're going to go, man, those were the good old days. Right. In those yeah. moments, they always seem like it's the yeah. worst thing in the world. Yeah. But yeah. when you look back on it, as, as a dad of daughters, yeah. you're going to deal with that <laughs> yeah. too. We talked about a little bit about oh, that before yeah. we started the podcast is, you know, there's going to be some really cool days, some really tough days ahead, but it, at the end, man, it's, it's worth every single bit. So, um, I'm going to end with this. I, I think a lot of you, I think you're a great guy and you've been a really good friend of mine and you've been able to have some really cool conversations and, and a lot of my life I'm, I'm thankful for because of you. So I want you to know, I love you and uh, I love your family and I love what you do, but most of all, I love who you are. So thanks for being on the podcast today. Yeah, love and, you, too, uh, you bet buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. And uh, hope to learn something from you in the future too. Oh yeah. Oh, I'll be calling you next week. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, and uh, for those of you who are listening, hey, we encourage you guys to to really check out who we are at Access eForms. You go to accessefm.com, check out our webpage, see a little bit of what we do in the healthcare business. But also we're building a, a page out just for you so that you can go and see our different podcasts, especially when we have our guests. You'll see some of our guests on there and we love to have your comments. One of the things that's most important to us is for you guys to subscribe to our podcast so that every time one comes out, you get a notification and uh, also important that you can give us some feedback. Put in those comments what you like, what you didn't like, what you'd like to hear um, some more of, what you didn't enjoy. That helps us figure out what's best for you and what you want. So please do that. Hey, thanks for listening.